I invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 9. We'll be walking through portions of that chapter together. Now, if Jesus' first sign was to turn water into wine, we would expect him to be a source of water that satisfies, and that's what we see in John's Gospel, that he, Jesus, is the living water. Now, if he is the bread of life, then we are not surprised that he feasts time and again, and that he feeds multitudes by miraculous multiplication. And then if Jesus is the light of the world, what would we expect to see from he who is this light? See, we're journeying, we're continuing to journey with John through Jesus' story here, and John is helping us to ask, who is this Jesus, and how are we to respond to him? This morning, we have a passage where John again points out that Jesus is the light of the world, a light that enters into darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So what should we expect to see? A blind man given sight. So that's where we're heading. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're grateful for your word, which is living and active, and we ask your blessing upon us as we read it, as we hear it, as we hear from you. Would you conform our hearts and minds to the image of your dear Son? Help us to see Jesus more clearly this morning, that we might be conformed to him, bear witness of him throughout our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we all go down YouTube rabbit holes at times, and have you ever gone down one where you you see um, YouTube clips of people who have had a surgery and they've gained sight for the first time? Have you ever watched any of those? Pretty uplifting. It's exciting. Um, You you see the awestruck uh, looks on their face as they look at blue for the first time. Different colors are just vibrant. Or the the, the child who was born blind sees his mother's face and looks adoringly, endlessly, at this this face who's only known by voice. We root for people to see. We sympathize with those who we see walking around with a, a seeing cane or a seeing eye dog, and we momentarily at least put ourselves in their shoes and, and think of the difficulties of, of life that we would be facing every moment of the day. So Im- imagine, what would our impulse be if having been born since our first days, when we gained sight for the first time, eyes are feasting on the world of wonder, what would the impulse be? especially if it was due to a person who has given us sight for a time. That's all we could ever think of, all we could ever speak of. So here in John 9, uh, there's a man here who's blind, but he, he sees again. And now he bears witness to Jesus. And he does so seemingly without fear. He obeys Jesus' simple commands and he's rewarded. And his obedience costs him Dearly. What's interesting is we see Jesus in this passage very clearly at the beginning and the very end, but for the majority of the passage, Jesus kind of hides out. We don't hear from him until the very end of the passage again. So I think what John is, is showing us is that he's emphasizing our response. Who is this Jesus and how do we respond to him? He's showing us another facet of, of who Jesus is, and now he's showing us different ways in which we can respond to him. If we look at the blind man, we see the first response is a simple obedience, and the second response is a bearing witness to the light of God's grace. 
chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus passed by. He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Is that the first thing you think of when you see somebody blind? Well, you don't think that way, do we? We often kind of try to play this game of figuring out God's hidden will, don't we? Why did this happen? Many seek to attribute tragedy to a person's failures or faults. Um, we have uh, here more of Job's comforters. Their comfort for him was, man, if you would just stop sinning, you'd be fine. Take comfort in that. Our society has no space to grieve tragedy, do we? As soon as the tragic events happen, we shout blame somewhere. Somebody did something. Why was this man born blind? What did he do or what did his parents do? But Jesus goes beyond this oversimplified, misguided attribution of blindness, and he aims instead at the glory of God, verse 3 and following. Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. There's a general truth displayed here by when the Apostle Paul says, God works all things to the good of those who love him. And Jesus is in some ways getting at that. Even this blindness will serve God's purposes. Specifically, in Jesus' presence, this blindness will result ultimately in the praise of God as sight is granted to the blind. But those with sight are also granted blindness. See, the light of the world will know darkness in his crucifixion and his burial, which Jesus speaks of here when he says, the night is coming, but it's not yet here. My hour is not yet here. It's not a warning that the disciples are to fear the impending suffering of Jesus here, but it's an exhortation to act while he's here with them. The bridegroom is with the bride. It is time to go to work, to bear witness while the light is shining brightly in their midst because night is coming. Work, work his works while the light is with us. And Jesus does work the works of God. But we'll see he does these works on the Sabbath. What we have here is the sixth of Jesus' miraculous signs in the Gospel of John, 6 of 7. So we have verse 6. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and made mud with saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud, and he said, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. It's, it's a very simple obedience. Just come here. It's the invitation. And he, his eyes are anointed, and it says, Go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And he does that. It's a very simple obedience. It's, it's a strange healing, though, isn't it? You don't see Jesus using uh, props very often. So why do you think he's using mud, dirt? What, what is it about dirt from which man comes? A dust man is created in the image of God as God forms man out of dust and breathes life into him. And here Jesus takes up some of that dust and spits on it to make mud to anoint divine dust. Eyes are anointed and a new creation is made. God is now re-imaged in this man. Christ resurrected life, spirit enlivened dust. We see imagery here of a, of a new creation. 
in Jesus' work of taking up dust, using his spit, anointing this man, and he washes. Some people also see the imagery of baptism here. Washed in the waters that Jesus commands, and he is healed. But it's strange. It's this two-stage healing where Jesus anoints first, and then he goes to wash. And I think part of that is it's, again, emphasizing. Look at the response of this blind man made new in obedience to God's word. A new man, a baptized creation, given sight only when he is cleansed. The man obeys, washes in the pool of Siloam. And John gives us those parentheses, here's his parentheses, which means sent. He's to wash in the waters of baptism, which then commissions him to be sent as a witness of the light of the world. So he enters darkness as the light has shined bright in him and now through him. A man walking in darkness is given sight by the light of the world, and that would cause quite the uproar, wouldn't it? So like any small town, neighbors get involved. Verse 8, the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, it is he. Others said, no, but he is like him. But he kept saying, I am the man. I mean, who could believe this man is the same man that's been blind since for his entire life until a few minutes ago? Even using today's technology, a miracle of blindness given sight would be of no less value or awe. His testimony is simple. As he talks with his neighbors, they're asking, is this the guy? Can't be the guy. Maybe he looks like the guy, but he's not the guy. His, his testimony is simple. I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Well, how did it happen? I don't know. This Jesus, this guy that they named Jesus, you know, you know, you've heard of him. Well, he anointed my eyes. He told me to wash. I obeyed, and now I've seen. Don't you love it? So simple. Verse 12. They said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. I don't know. Where is he? Of course they're looking for this guy. But I just want us to notice, it's a very simple witness of this guy. He doesn't know much about Jesus. See, John's gospel is all about identifying who Jesus is in order that we might bear witness to his person and work. As we're studying the book of Revelation in an adult class, that is the theme that is woven throughout every chapter of that book, is that we're to bear witness to this one who sits on the throne as a lamb who was slain, yet he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. Bear witness as a continual act of faith. This witness is the hope for the life of the world. So the healing is certainly about Jesus' power and his glory. It, it focuses our sight on the response of the man as well versus response of neighbor, versus response of family, versus response of the religious professionals. That's what happens. Jesus is at the beginning and the end of our passage, but everything that happens from the beginning to the end is all about the man's response versus the response of those he encounters. So let's look at some of those responses. Verse 13, after the neighbors, then they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. See, the man bears witness even though he knows very little about him. What we see throughout John's gospel is that Jesus is continually on trial. 
And that means that they're calling forth this man, this blind man, remember who was blind, they're calling him forth as a primary witness. And they're trying to discredit Jesus through this event. So a witness is put on the stand, and prosecutors begin to question his testimony. John's details about it being the Sabbath is, is important because earlier Jesus is healed on the Sabbath, and they accused him then of doing work on the Sabbath. He healed on the sacred day, and he therefore, in their eyes, broke Moses' word, broke the law of God. So here, after the man testifies to the fact that Jesus applied mud to him and told him to go and wash, this is, this is work. And the prosecutors attempt to discredit not only the witness, but the one they accuse, Jesus, a Sabbath breaker, a sin committer. And the prosecutors then begin to argue amongst themselves until they finally ask for clarity from the witness again. Who do you say he is? Give us your testimony. Who do you say that he is? This man who supposedly healed you. Verse 17. So they said to the blind man, Who do you, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. That's all he knows. Isn't that great? He didn't, he didn't go to seminary one lick. Yeah. He didn't go to all of our great discipleship hour classes and our small groups. He didn't attend any of that stuff. He should have. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but it's a simple testimony. What, he must be a prophet. Remember Elijah? He did some amazing things. Remember what God did through Elisha? We've not seen anything like that until this prophet comes. He must be a prophet. He's doing these wonder-working things. He must be a prophet. They temporarily, the Pharisees here, they temporarily excuse the witness. They adjourn for a bit, and then they go to the man's parents here. And they're asking the parents, is this your son? Was he actually born blind? And if so, how then does he see? And mom and dad answer, we know, verse 20, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Now his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. It's an important detail that John gives us there in that last bit. He lets us in on the fact that many honest God-fearing folks who have been looking to Jesus, seeing him for who he is. Those people are now being harassed for associating with Jesus. And the cost of following this Jesus was being kicked out of the synagogue, was excommunication, no communion with God's people or with God himself. So mom and dad, when they're asked by the prosecuting Pharisees about this situation, they back off and they say, well, he's our son. He was born blind. He can speak for himself. So he puts, they put his son, their son forward. He seems to be of age to bear witness for himself. They say, we raised him. He was blind. Now he's healed. Ask him. The Pharisees call the man back a second time. See, isn't this something? Doesn't, doesn't the, the testimony or the things spoken in order for it to be true, doesn't it require a double witness in Scripture? 
And here the Pharisees are asking for a second witness from the same guy. Hey, come back, tell us all about this once again. It's almost a comical back and forth that occurs next. So, verse 24. So for the second time they called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. Remember, he breaks the Sabbath, okay? Verse 25, he answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, I now see. I don't, I don't know a lot about him. Didn't read any systematic theology about him. But I do know that my eyes didn't work, and now I can see plain, of day, plain as day. Is he a sinner? I don't, I don't know. He's bearing witness to Jesus' grace, even though he's threatened and harassed. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And he answered them, I've told you already, that, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? That's good. That's good, isn't it? You want to ask again? Ah, you want to learn more about this Jesus so you can follow him. I understand now. And then, you know, the prosecutors say a simple yes and no answer, please. Read the courtroom transcripts is what the man is saying. My testimony hasn't changed, he's saying. Oh, I get it. You want to know him. You want to know about him so you can follow him. Well, that didn't make friends or influence them for his benefit. So verse 28. And they reviled him, saying, You are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. They think you're his disciple. We know that. And we'll call you a lot of other names if you're not careful. You better watch your mouth. And so they argue uh, then, uh, as they did with Jesus earlier. With Jesus, they said, we're sons of Abraham, and therefore we have the truth and you do not. And here they say, we are disciples of Moses, so we have God's word, God's light. And so here, what would you expect? But you would expect Jesus to cast off a concealing cloak, to come out of the woodwork, and he burst onto the courtroom scene, and he would loudly declare, he said, before Moses was, I am. Is that what we see? Wouldn't that be great? What do, we, what do we see, though? We don't see Jesus entering on that scene, but what he's, he's working through his bride, through his people. The bridegroom is allowing the bride to speak of her love and her respect. The word of God remains silent for a time so that witness can speak God's word. The light of the world ignited a broken man, now healed to shine his light to the world. Verse 30, so the man answers why this is an amazing thing. You don't know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. By the way, that's how Pharisees would describe themselves. Worshiper of God, obedient to his will. Verse 32, never since the world began, began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. But if this man were not from God... He could do nothing. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? I mean, the Pharisees deserve it, right? All the sarcasm here. He's getting at them, isn't he? Once again, he may not know everything there is to know about Jesus. He's seen Jesus only for the first time as a, a mere flicker of, of a ray of the sun which pierces the shadow of his darkness, entering into his blindness. And the little bit of light that he's seen is enough. 
His reasoning is secure. It is sure. His sarcasm is on point. And even if his theology is a bit immature, or I'm sure at times inaccurate, the Lord Jesus healed him. And the man's response is also on point, a simple obedience. And now, with eyes of faith, he begins to see Jesus more clearly. It's a sign for us is how we are to respond to our Savior. And how do the Pharisees respond? Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. We're born. You're born in utter sin, and you're going to dare to teach us? Now, apparently their theology is even less mature or off-base than our blind man. Even though they have seen a glimpse of Jesus' light and glory, they've seen Jesus for who he is. They know what he's claiming, and they attribute the light of Jesus to sin and to the devil. They ask, would you, a sinner, teach us? Well, the man has been teaching them, hasn't he? But they don't have ears to hear, nor do they have eyes to see. And so they cast him out, these religious leaders who are commissioned to serve their God, to love his people, and to exhibit mercy to a watching world, cast out the one who bears witness to the light of the world. Now, many who are hearing these words this morning have been hurt by religious leaders. Many of us have been failed by those who claim to love and to follow Jesus. What the blind man experienced at the hands of these who are devout in their spiritual endeavors, those who are commissioned to shepherd God's people, this experience resonates with many of us in our own personal and painful experience of hurts in the life of following Jesus, in the life of the church. So we, the church, we who help shepherd and lead God's people, we are not without fault. And when we hurt people and make mistakes, we're often slow to acknowledge it, and we're often slow to confess our wrongs or to ask forgiveness. And I'm sorry that this is the case. And I'm sorry that I know that I have hurt people. We who seek to lead Trinity have hurt people. We who sit in these pews, we have hurt people. Now, for this, I do apologize, and as a church, we do apologize, but I want us to see that, that even though this is not the end of our story either, I mean, look who Jesus goes to. He goes to the man who was blind, and he heals. He shows the way of mercy, of love to those who cannot see. But he goes to those who do end up seeing themselves aright, and that's where the offenses and the sins of a people begin, to begin at least to see our brokenness for what it is, to at least begin to confess our own ailments, our own failures, our own sin. See, Jesus will build his church throughout the world. May he have mercy on her leaders and his beloved bride as we seek to love one another, as we seek to serve one another, as we serve him, our bride, groom. Verse 35, Jesus shows up once again. 
Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This falls, this passage here falls about right in the middle of John's gospel, almost right in the smack dab middle. I think it's the central theme of John's writing. He writes that we might believe in the one whom God has sent. And we have here an affirmation from Jesus to this man that you have seen the Son of Man and you believe in him. And the man's response is what? He's floored, literally. He bows down in worship. When Jesus pronounces that he is the Son of Man, the man who now has a dim view of things, a dim light, sees Jesus more clearly than ever, and he bows in worship. Who is the Son of Man? Even before his eyes were opened, the man saw Jesus more clearly than the Pharisees. His obedience is evidence of his sight. We who have so much experience, so much knowledge in the things of Christ, do we see Jesus in the way of this blind man? Look at verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. The only way to enter the kingdom of heaven is to become like a child, says Jesus. And the only way those who can see will enter the kingdom of God is that they might become first blind. That is, those who claim that they know all there is to know about themselves and, and God's way in the world. Those who believe they've been walking in the right way. Those who believe they can do life without Jesus. The only way that they can see what Jesus says here is that they must first become blind. See, a blind man, a blind man knows his need. A blind man feels his darkness, and he grows to despise it. But these Pharisees, they have no need for Jesus. They have no need for the light of the world because they have what they claim to be sight. And they do. They have God's revelation through Moses. And yet all the revelation, all the light they've been given them, they don't look to Jesus at all, who is the light of the world. That's who Moses was pointing to all the time. Jesus' point is though, that you've had all the light of God's revelation and yet you remain blind, but you say you have sight. And Jesus' point is the only way is that you can see yourself rightly, that you become blind in this way. Verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind like this man, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains the wages of sin is death. The effect of sin is blindness, but grace brings light and grace brings life. Jesus minces no words with these prosecuting Pharisees, and yet the Pharisees remain in sin, while the one they kick out of their church is embraced by Jesus Christ. It's, a, it's just a beautiful story, John 9. It's a beautiful story of grace, where Jesus, the light of the world, gives sight to a man who's been walking in darkness his entire life. Christ entered into that darkness and was not overcome by that darkness. Now, we may not be healed as this man was healed. Jesus may not fix our problems. He may not heal our pains. And darkness may still oppress. But our hope is that the light of the world does overcome darkness, that the light of the world will finally and fully one day overcome all darkness. For the night has come. 
and the morning sun has already risen. In Jesus' death and resurrection, there was night. But now that, now that Easter has come, we have sunrise. We have the first fruits of resurrection life in this life. And so we have hope that the light will continue to shine in darkness and the light will not be overcome. And that means that the task of all of us who claim to follow Jesus, our task is not only simple obedience but to bear witness to that light. As we walk together, little lights shining in a world that loves darkness and despises the true light, Jesus does warn us if we bear witness, it will have a cost. But he also promises that the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, of seeing Christ Jesus, far outweighs this present momentary affliction. Have you seen him? Even a glimpse of his glorious light? Can you see him? See, this is our response of simple obedience. Anointed by Christ, we rise. We wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. We boldly bear witness to his grace. We receive his powerful word so that we go forth in the strength of his love. Indeed, the light of the world is come, and the darkness will not, cannot, ever overcome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you have given us your son, Jesus, who is the light of the world. Forgive us for when we do walk in darkness and are content with that. But shine your light upon us, Jesus, that we might receive your grace, see you more clearly as we see ourselves more clearly, that we might repent, turn to you, and walk humbly after you all of our days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.